Hello and welcome everyone to the Political Economy Forum podcast. My name is Nicholas Wittstock. I'm a fellow at the forum. Today I'm speaking to Alan Seljan. Alan Seljan is an associate professor of political science and department chair at Lewis and Clark. Uh, she teaches courses on American politics, Congress, parties and interest groups, public policy and research methods. Her research specifically examines public policy at the state level and local levels of government. Hello, Ellen. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you. Ellen, you're here today to talk uh, to us about a working paper of yours that investigates the effect of um, automatic voter registration on voter turnout. Um, I think many Americans after this past election uh, year especially might be asking themselves, why do we need voter registration to begin with? Why aren't people automatically registered to vote? Yeah. I mean, in, in many countries, they are more automatically registered to vote. Most countries have some form of voter registration roles because there is kind of a, a part of registration that helps with election integrity. So mm -hmm. having a list of people who are eligible to vote helps prevent ineligible people from voting. It guards yeah. against multiple, multiple votes by the same person. Um, but in some countries, it is more state initiated where, you know, the same process by which you get your national ID, you are automatically registered to vote. Um, and that is, in, when you compare it to the United States, it is much more self-initiated here uh, and self-initiated and decentralized so that there are lots of different registration rules across the 50 US states. Are there any states where you are automatically registered to vote if you get a citizen ID, a, a national ID? Well, there's no, I mean, number one, there's one state where there is no voter registration. So in mm -hmm. North Dakota, uh, you don't have to register to vote. Um, automatic voter registration is becoming increasingly common. So mm -hmm. since 2016, we now have 20 states, uh, mm -hmm. plus the District of Columbia, that have some form of automatic voter registration. But the way that it works is not exactly like, you know, you get an ID and you're registered. It's more mm -hmm. the automatic voter registration that has been adopted over the last five years is more kind of a changing voter registration from opt-in to mm -hmm. opt-out. Um, where kind of the most common form today in these states that have adopted it, or, you know, you're, you're at the DMV, you're, you're mm -hmm. getting your driver's license, and then the computer screen pops up, do you want to register to vote? And you can click yes or no. Interesting. And so what would be the, is it mainly an administrative problem? What would be the problem to just say, you know what, if you want to vote, uh, here's where you can vote, but make sure to bring your ID And, you know, from, I don't know, tax information or census information, we have a rough idea of like how, where people live or something like that. And then you can sign up to vote right then and there. I would say it is less of an administrative problem and more of a political problem, really. Mm. There, there are countries where, you know, it is, it is seamless in, you know, getting your, your, your national ID card and getting registered to vote. The fact that we have a federal state such this federal system does make it a little bit more difficult here, but not not so much so that states couldn't automatically register everyone to vote who gets uh, an ID. Hmm. Um, voter registration has always been political. You know, hmm. who votes determines who's in power and who is in power wants to determine who votes in right. some way. So so there's a long history of kind of the politics of, of voter registration being very very prominent and sometimes very often making it more difficult to vote. 
Interesting. So does voter registration differ for federal and state level elections at all? Or is it the same process? So it's the same. So we have no federal uh, voter registration. So it is the same mm. process in that when you vote, when you register at the state level, that is what makes you eligible to to vote in federal elections. Um, but there's a pretty there's a there's a lot of variety amongst the U.S. states in exactly the process by which um, voters get registered. And there's a pretty big variation in the percentage of the population that is registered in, in the different states. Interesting. Yeah. I, I know that a forum fellow and assistant professor, Jake Grombach, who you also cite in your working paper, he, I think, previously has presented work to the forum as well, uh, showing his sort of like state level democracy index, effectively like uncovering that, for example, if you take things like uh, the freedom of elections or indicators like that, there's enormous variation, as you say, right, like across mm -hmm. states. So how does voter registration tie in here? Can you um, give us some examples of how big the variation is? Yeah, I, well, first of all, it's actually almost a, a modern premise that it is state level variation because mm. election administration in the United States is actually local. It has been more historically governed by, you know, counties and local mm. jurisdictions. Uh, it was only in 2002 with kind of the Help America Vote Act that it required more centralization at the state level. Um, but to get to your question, yeah, there's tons of variation between states. So um, number one, you know, it's only in 40 states where you can register online. There are still 10 hmm. states where you need to go to, a, you know, a physical government office or, or send in a, a pen and paper form in order to be registered. And then among those 40 states where there is online registration, how easy it is to complete fully online varies. You know, can you put your, right. do you, you require a signature? Um, do they have to mail you something and then sign a postcard? Um, is, the, is the website even robust enough to, to manage that? Do you need to upload documentation or not? There's, there's tremendous variation in, in how hard it is to, to register online. Um, and then there's also always been variation in um, how easy it is to register at government offices. So it's right. it's only been since 1993 uh, through the the law, the federal legislation passed in that year where we require all kind of DMVs to and libraries and schools to to be sources where people can register to vote. But there's always been variation in, in how forthcoming, you know, does the does the person who you're talking to at the DMV come right out and ask you or are there just uh, forms sitting over there in the in the corner? Um, so how easy it is varies. And, and then there's also besides where you're registering to vote, hmm. um, when do you need to register to vote varies pretty significantly. So there, there are 17 states that allow, you know, election day registration or when there's early voting, same day mm -hmm. registration. But the majority of states, you need to be able to get registered in advance, you know, 15 to 30 days in advance of the, of the election in order to be qualified to vote. Um, so lots, lots of variation at the state level. Interesting. And so what are the states that make it easier for people to, to register? And how, how big is the variation in between states and how many potentially eligible voters are actually able to vote because they're registered? There are definitely certain states, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, mm -hmm. California. Um, mm -hmm. uh, these, these states have always been kind of on the front runner of kind of election reform. So these are the states that have been more heavily going towards vote by mail. 
um, and and you know they have they've had provisions in there to kind of update their registration right. systems effectively. Um, they you know do a do a better job kind of not purging the the voter mm -hmm. rolls in in ways that are are harming the the electorate. Yeah, there there is definitely a list of states that you kind of see popping up there and innovating. So, what is the idea behind automatic voter registration? as it happens at the DMV, for example, that you were describing in your paper? Yeah, so, so automatic voter registration forms are really moving voter registration from an opt-in system to an opt-out system. Right. And so this follows kind of some of this really important research that's come out of psychology and behavioral economics that has suggested that, you know, making, changing the choice architecture can change your outcome. So I'm thinking of kind right. of you know, uh, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein's work mm -hmm. on nudging, um, where you know, they show that you know, changing from opt-in organ donation to mm -hmm. opt-out really increases the number of, of organ donors. And, and so that's kind of what these election reforms look like. Um, it could be, as I, as I said before, that it could be that you're at the DMV and suddenly a computer screen pops up and it says, do you want to decline uh, registering to vote? And so you actually mm. have to push to decline. Um, in Oregon, it's even more behind the scenes where you go to the DMV, you, you know, get your driver's license. They don't even talk about voter registration. And then in the mail, you get a postcard. Mm. And you have to actively return the postcard saying, uh, I do not want to register to vote. Otherwise, you're, you're registered. And What's the holdup here? Why is this not adopted more widely? I think there's always concerns that, um, you know, if you are in power, you were you were elected by the the electorate as it was when you were elected. Right. Okay. Uh, so changing how people vote is always really controversial. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's there's a movement that's that is really strong suggesting that we should we should make it easier for everyone to vote that expanding the voter rolls is only a good thing uh, but we have not seen that everywhere and we can see that you know hr1 uh, the the bill going through congress right now that includes automatic voter registration and reforms to to redistricting uh, will not will not have a bipartisan passage um, hmm. Right now, it's not clear that automatic voter registration helps Democrats. There's really no research out there that, that suggests that. And that absolutely could be a wrong premise, but that seems to be what is in the popular sentiment and what people right. think may happen. Yeah, I mean, you definitely hear this a lot, right? That um, the idea is that uh, a lot of Republican-led states oppose wider access to elections because yeah, the fear is that uh, there's this demographic transition argument. It's gonna become more and more uh, complicated for a Republican party to win elections uh, because of demographic change. Um, but as you say, right, I've, I've also seen research that suggests that it's completely, that, that it's not so easy to say that um, making it easier to vote would, would uh, favor either party. Do you know of any states that break this sort of partisan divide? Are there any deviant cases, if you will? Where... I mean, the thing that pops to mind is Utah. So mm -hmm. Utah has vote by mail. It's the only, well, should I say it's the only, I mean, it is a strongly Republican state that has vote by mail. And as, as we saw <laughs> in this last election, vote by mail was made to be a partisan issue um, where right. the, it was the redder states that were more reticent to, to allow it during the COVID pandemic. Are there any Democratic-led states that seem to be a little bit 
more lukewarm about this idea? You know, nothing is coming to mind mm. right now. It seems like a good sign for the Democratic <laughs> Party, right? At least they're consistent, yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the states that are that have adopted automatic voter registration, they are not all uh, blue states. So Alaska has automatic voter mm. registration. That's actually not tied to their um, DMV, but to their their fund um, mm -hmm. that gives kind of oil revenues back to to its citizens. Yeah. Um, Georgia is another automatic voter registration state mm -hmm. um, that is, you know, maybe red, red and blue, I guess, at this point in time, but they, well, they adopted so. automatic voter registration as well. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose one question in this context is, well, what to do, right? You could argue that, well, you know, if you really want to vote, you know, you're going to find a way, like, what, what is this conversation really about? Um, and I think that's really where your paper comes in, right? And tries to um, get to the bottom of okay, what actually happens if we change the laws and what, what happens really with voter turnout when we make it easier or more convenient to actually register. So, so what is it that you find? Yeah, so, um, so I do find that automatic voter registration increases voter turnout in states. Mm -hmm. um, but the point that I want to make is that's actually not necessarily obvious that that would be the case. There's yeah. a lot of political science research that shows that there is a trade-off mm -hmm. between making it easier to vote and the ability for parties to mobilize voters. Um, so it may be that, you know, just because you are on the voter rolls doesn't mean that um, that you're going to get to, to turn out. And it mm -hmm. actually may be that like, you know, if political parties were in charge of mobilization, then mm -hmm. you know, you'd be more likely to register with a political party. And then you'd be more likely to get contacted by that political party oh, okay. uh, before election day, which actually means theoretically, it could be possible that um, that automatic voter registration would not increase voter turnout. And there's there's been some analogous political science mm. research that shows that you know reforms like early voting don't necessarily increase voter turnout because it comes at a cost to mobilization. Interesting. So the idea would be that the state crowds out the space of, of the parties, if you will, to to yeah. to uh, register interesting. Yeah. Has there been any work done that, that suggests that this is actually a dynamic that is that is practically relevant? Uh, for, for automatic voter registration, I think that it is. Uh, so hmm. in Oregon, which again, has kind of that, it, what they call back-end voter registration, where you know, you're registered unless you send back a mm -hmm. um, postcard. We do find that fewer people are registering for political parties because when you take no action, the default is not to register for a political party. Um, and so there is this kind of, you know, theoretical concern that if we're not getting people into the political parties, that they could be less likely to, to vote. Okay, so your paper takes a, a very clever econometric approach, or I shouldn't say econometric, I suppose, just methodological approach to trying to estimate the causal effect of a legal change on actual voter turnout. Uh, could you just explain to our listeners real quick your methodological approach? We don't have to go too much into depth, but I think it's kind of interesting because it's so clever. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the idea that it is actually really difficult to get a causal effect of any of these mm. kind of policy changes on, on voting. Um, and that's because these policy changes are endogenous. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, conditions that lead states to adopt motor voter laws might be the very same conditions that foster stronger voter turnout. 
Um, So just because, you know, voter turnout goes up in the state after they they passed ABR doesn't really mean you can you can give that causal influence to ABR. It might just be those those kind of pre-existing conditions. So it's it's really hard to, you know, get a causal estimate by comparing states over time. It's, you know, probably even harder to compare states that adopt versus states that don't adopt because they are different. They have different electrics. They have different uh, probably different uh, voter voter turnout levels to begin with. So those kind of cross-sectional comparisons don't work either. Um, so it's, you know, it's hard. It's also hard, you know, there's been a lot of kind of work done by some think tanks that try to track voters, try to try to look at, you know, okay, this person registered by ABR and then they voted and they had mm-hmm. never voted in any previous elections. Mm-hmm. But, that's still, it's a really tricky method because you don't have a true counterfactual. You don't know right. whether that person would have still voted, even though they registered by ABR, maybe they would have you know, registered by some other means. And maybe they would have registered by a, with a political party and actually could have been more right. like, you know, you, you can't just track people like that. So, so in my research, uh, I, was, I was really looking for something that was truly exogenous. Mm-hmm. That would make someone get registered by automatic voter registration. That's you know almost random, um, and the the idea here was to take advantage of the fact that people's timing of precisely when they visit the DMV and so when they are going to get touched by automatic voter registration, the timing of their visit is somewhat random. You know, someone who goes to the DMV ten days before the voter registration deadline—that's this—that's the same type of person that probably goes to the DMV 10 days after the voter registration deadline. Right. The only thing that is different is, is their timing. Um, and so kind of trying to figure out what makes people go to the DMV. Mm-hmm. One thing that we notice is that if you pull out your driver's license card and you look at the expiration date, it, it doesn't expire on a random date. It actually expires right on your birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, and birthday is also is, is a data point that is in some voter registration rules. Actually, a lot of states are taking taking that information and making it more private these days, which is why I wasn't able to do my analysis on all states that adopted um, automatic voter registration. But the, the basic point being that when you go to D, the DMV is partially determined by your birth date. Um, right. And because almost everyone, people, people procrastinate. So people don't go to renew their license until right up to, to their birthday. Uh, and so we're kind of leveraging the birthday to, to figure out what is the effect of automatic voter registration? Okay, so, and you compare people who um, do what? Yeah, so basically our analysis compares people who have birthdays that are before the voter registration deadline right. to people who have birthdays after the voter registration deadline. Nice. And, you know, we argue and we show that these people are the same, you know, they, mm-hmm. they they have, you know, the same, they're the same geographically, they're the same in terms of age and that sort of thing. The only difference is that they have different birthdays. Um, but when we look down, we can actually see that these birthdays really affect people's likelihood of being registered to vote in time for the election and people's likelihood of turning out. Um, And this is only after voter, after states ad- adopt voter registration. We do kind of a placebo test where we look like, does, does birthday determine voting mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. back in 2014 or 2012? No, it, it didn't have an effect. But after uh, we're looking at Oregon 2016, Oregon 2018 and California 2018, all times when automatic voter registration is placed, 
Um, in those states and years, you are more likely to turn out to vote if you have a birthday that is earlier before the voter registration deadline. Right. And, and how big is that effect? Yeah, so, um, so basically the, the effects show that it increases one's likelihood of voting by almost 30% hmm. uh, in Oregon in 2016, wow. 22% in Oregon 2018, and then 10% in California 2018. But some of that variation is a little bit misleading because um, the type of people that are affected by AVR actually is different in Oregon and California. Um, in particular, the, you know, you can be affected by AVR in that you're not registering for the first time and you've never been registered before. It also helps people update their registration. Um, and what I find is that there's actually more of these updaters in California relative than Oregon. And when you're just looking at, you know, the overall effect, it's really quite similar in both states. I would say like it's basically about a 30% uh, effect where, you know, if you had 10 people who were affected by AVR and registered for the very, very first time in each of those states, mm. three of them would turn out to vote that wouldn't have otherwise if, if automatic voter registration wasn't in place. Yeah, I mean, that's really substantial. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, do you feel like there are any trade-offs here then to be considered or is this a slam dunk? If you want to boost turnout, then AVR seems to be the way to go. It, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to look, this is short-term effects. So um, it will be interesting to look at the long-term effects. And I think that the decline of party registration is something that needs to be continuously examined. That's some work I actually want to work on next is kind of tracking, even though it's very clear that, you know, especially in Oregon, fewer people are registering for political parties when they register through automatic voter registration. Are the, are the parties finding them through other means? You know, they're on the voter rolls now. Are they being tracked down and, and registered with parties, um, you know, outside of the voter registration, the AVR process? Um, so that is one, one potential trade-off to, to look for. Yeah, definitely. And also, like, how, how does this affect parties in different ways, right? Does this somehow undermine their ability to campaign in other ways or just to sustain their organizations on on the local level, right? Who knows? Maybe if their entryways into the party are somehow taken away, right? Like maybe that disrupts the pipeline of, of recruiting people to the party potential. Who knows? I think you're spot on. I think it's important to, to, to think very uh, broadly here and keep all these uh, different effects in mind. Absolutely. So, I mean, you, you could argue that uh, there are specific demographics in the U.S. that are especially facing hurdles to voter registration. So what does how does your research speak to that? Like, what do you find? Are specific groups differently affected by these kinds of uh, legal changes? One thing that I found really interesting in the results is that the effects seem to be much larger for women relative to men uh, in the 2016 and 2018 elections that, that we study. Uh, in Oregon, the the causal effect was twice as big for, for women than for men. I oh, was wow. not expecting okay. to, to find that at all. And actually similar in California, not quite twice, not quite double, but, but quite significant. Um, and that's something I'm still really looking into. Uh, I think the, the relationship between gender and voting is is really fascinating and, and studied by uh, you know some fantastic political scientists. Uh, across the country. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting that we're seeing this reversal in the gender gap where now, mm. you know, voter turnout among women is slightly higher than voter turnout among men. And the fact that AVR is kind of pushing that further in that direction, I think is, is really interesting. 
I didn't, looking at other subgroups, uh, I could not find a partisan effect, so to speak. So the people oh, who actually okay. do register with political parties when they are, um, when they when they register through automatic voter registration, there was no difference in turnout there between Republicans, Democrats, third parties, nothing, nothing systematic. Um, I did find some differences by age. So automatic voter registration seems to have a bigger effect for younger voters relative than older right. voters for, for my study, which, you know, was really looking at, you know, when the timing of your birthday is really associated with when you're renewing your driver's mm -hmm. license, not as much when you're getting your driver's license for the first time. So I had a hard time estimating um, an effect for the very, the very youngest set of subgroup of voters. Um, but it was clear that the effect for people in their 20s and 30s was, was larger than those who are, you know, 60 and above. Yeah, definitely interesting to see that there's no clear partisan effect, right? So um, again, right, it seems to be just universally uh, positive, a positive legal change, right? To say making it easier for people to vote is just a, a democratic ideal that is not really favoring any party over the other necessarily, but just, yeah, increases access to, uh, to elections. Are there other changes to the way that people vote in the United States that may tie into automatic voter registration that may um, integrate into a more holistic uh, election reform? Like, how do, how do you feel like your research speaks to, I think, the, uh, the set of voices that is getting louder and louder that the U.S. needs comprehensive uh, election reform? Well, I'm really interested in the interaction between vote by mail mm -hmm. and automatic voter registration. Um, it would it would seem to me that, you know, if, if automatic voter registration is affecting the people who are really, you know, quite uh, responding to the cost of voting, that vote by mail, you know, further decreases the cost of voting by giving that ballot, sending that ballot straight to your home um, so that you don't have to, you know, go anywhere on election day and that you can vote in advance. Um, it is a lot of the states that have um, not automatic voter registration also do have vote by mail. Uh, I would love to be able to study more states to see if there is a comparative right. effect that, you know, it really is this interaction between vote by mail and automatic voter registration that makes a difference. I don't have any evidence for that right now. I did look uh, in California in 2018, there were five counties that um, mandated vote by mail, uh, but those counties didn't look any different than the, the rest. Mm -hmm. But that might be because California has a pretty high rate of absentee ballot. Um, usage already. So I would love to, to be able to examine that more in the future. Uh, all right. So do you think HR1 uh, is going to pass in Congress or not? Yeah. So HR1 is a, a really has a, has a wide array of, of voting reforms, um, including automatic voter registration. I, you know, it passed in 2019 through the House of, of Representatives and went nowhere in the Senate. And if I had to guess, I would I would assume that that's the outcome that we'll see again in in this 117th Congress. But it's really interesting. There's been some you know some voices out there, Barack Obama's, uh, suggesting that you know if there's any time to reform the filibuster, it is for legislation that expands mm. democracy. And I don't think it is you know it is it is conceivable that you know a carve out of the filibuster for voting reforms. You know, it's probably unlikely, but it, it could happen. And that is probably the way that I would see HR1 getting through the Senate. It's really interesting. Do you feel like 
amongst your students, the last four years have really focused minds on this issue of uh, election reform and, and that being a, like a really important issue, right? It's not just about getting some person elected at one point in time, right? It's, it's really about, uh, first of all, state level policy is extremely important. And um, yes, yeah, secondly, you know, like election reforms are, are really crucial to, um, yeah, just making a democracy work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always find that, you know, my students perk up any anytime we're talking about gerrymandering or campaign mm. finance or, you know, proportional representation versus mm -hmm. single member districts. Um, it is absolutely true that, you know, the, the way we structure our, our set of rules of how the political game works absolutely affects outcomes. Um, and we would see a different set of representatives uh, right. in, in Congress if we had a different electoral system. In, in many, many different ways. Uh, so I think that is, you know, the idea that, you know, changing the process will affect the outcomes is very mm. exciting to, to people, to especially political science majors who are in <laughs> classes. Uh, so I, I do see a lot of excitement there. Yeah, definitely. There, there's also been, uh, I, I've noticed that too, that there's a very strong increase in interest also in uh, different systems in uh, European Union countries, for example, and as you say, proportional representation and all that. Um, yeah, so I can very much second that. And I have several other guests on the show have also reported this. So I feel like the last four years have really, maybe not just the last four years, but I think this has really been on the forefront of a lot of young people's minds, especially. And I mean, really, these electoral reforms are politically popular. Like we, mm. we think of them as, you know, having not being bipartisan in Congress, but they do seem to be pretty bipartisan when you just look at kind of a, a Gallup opinion poll. Mm. Uh, by mail is is popular. Um, campaign finance reform is popular. So there's a lot of aspects of HR one that I think are are pretty broadly supported by the public. Yeah. So it's really. Um... What's the holdup then, right? Uh, what's uh, what's the is it really that simple of a story that there are certain um, uh, yeah people that the current system works for that that aren't interested in passing such laws? Is there anything else that you feel like is is obstructing this process? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that may just be it, right? I mean, it's it's not the most glamorous answer, but like unfortunately, right. I feel like that's probably the bulk of it. Whether or not HR1 passes, um, you've already given us a bit of a glimpse on your future research agenda, but are there any specific um, election reforms that you're interested in studying in the future? Well, I think there's more work to be done on automatic voter registration. Oh, so really? it does look very different in different states. And, and we saw actually with the original motor voter legislation in 1993 that states, states could take one piece of national uh, legislation and implement it very differently to have kind mm. of differing effects on registration and turnout. Um, right now, the, the legislation that at least is being proposed in the, in the House has kind of a front end uh, automatic voter registration where it really is at that very that when you're at the DMV you get that choice to opt in and opt out which contrasts to Oregon's system where you know you're sent the postcard later um, so I think it'd be interested to to look at you know what are the effects of the different ways that you can set up automatic voter registration um, and not just at the DMV you know different states will implement it in different government agencies will you you know when you're when you're doing your health insurance purchase through a health exchange right. are you going to be uh, able to register to vote there or through your Department of Health and Human Services when you're, you're receiving kind of um, assistance. 
there's there's lots of different kind of ways that you can implement this law that should have a big effect on turnout. So it'll be interesting to study those. And what do you feel like, if you had to speculate, what do you feel like the differences would be? Or what would you expect to happen in different well, cases? I, I do think that kind of the more passive that you make automatic voter registration, the less mm -hmm. work that you need to do uh, the easier it is just to opt in and not have to, to think about it anymore, the more likely you are to get people to vote. And, and I do think the more places is important too. So there is a trend against driving uh, among the, the youngest oh. segment of the population. Fewer people are going to get their driver's license, uh, you know, at age 16 than they did 20 years ago. So having more options beyond the DMV, I think is really important. So if you had to come up with a policy that would boost turnout as much as possible, how would you design it? I, I mean, I think as have it be as a, at as many places as possible. So mm -hmm. um, especially I'm trying to think of where do the youth, what, what is a, what is an interaction that the youth, that someone who is young has with the government? Do you, sorry, do you feel like youth turnout is especially a problem? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, I, I think, you know, you have to right now in the way that voter registration works, you need to go out of your way. And when you've had fewer years <laughs> to mm -hmm. go out of your way, uh, um, youth registration is lower. So, you know, a lot of states have been adopting rules where you can pre-register when you mm -hmm. are 16 years old. So when you when you first get your your ID, you're allowed to you know, sign up to register to vote, even though that you won't be able to vote at age 18. And, and the, you know, early research on that does suggest that it is uh, important. There's also, I guess, you know, we could tie voter registration to the way that um, students sign up for financial aid. And that's a, that's a government right. interaction. Uh, and I know kind of um, the, the way that we do the draft, you know, you could <laughs> register to vote at the same time that you need to, to sign up um, for military service. So I think the, the more ways that you can you can get people to automatically register to vote, the better. Yeah, this is kind of curious. Um, how come, I mean, I'm sure political parties do this at the local level, that they go to high schools, for example, or is that not a thing? I mean, I think the schools were probably a little wary of mm. you know, seemingly partisan, of being, oh, okay. of being too partisan, because I think you would need to, if you were doing it at the schools and inviting people in, you would need to invite at least the two major parties, but probably also third parties. So I don't, I don't think that um, the, that registration in schools, uh, I think it's probably more at the discretion of, you know, your civics teacher, if they want to, to implement a, a, an out-of-class assignment mm. to, to try to register to vote. <laughs> that would be fun for sure. <laughs> I've, I've heard, I've definitely, you know, having teaching college freshmen, I hear stories that some, oh, some, really? some students are kind of, and they learn how to register to vote in their, you know, AP Gov class. I mean, okay, that, that, that would make sense. But it just strikes me that, I mean, if it's especially young people that um, elude registration, I feel like uh, high school seems to be sort of the one uh, semi-administrative arm of the government that seems to be touching most people at some point, right? So I feel but like that would- before you're 18 sometimes. So not every, people yeah. can graduate from high school at 17. That's an amazing point. Absolutely, right? Uh, which, which I suppose where the, the combination with uh, some sort of pre-registration mechanism would have to come in. Um, but um, I, I'm not uh, a US citizen, so I, I was really um, 
quite amazed by the fact that you have um, army recruiters showing up at high schools, for example, that that's apparently a thing. So it strikes me as odd that, I mean, I completely share your concerns that this might be a little bit too partisan if, if parties would show up. But I'm a little bit surprised that this is not more of a thing at high schools in some way. I mean, it's interesting. Election administration is still run by the local level. So a lot of these local offices don't have, you know, a large number of staff to to go out and increase right. the, the voter rolls that way. Even though I agree that would be great to have kind of a nonpartisan government official just explaining how the work, the, the system works to, to students in high school, but we don't have that at all. I mean, that, that's really surprising to me that that's not more common. Maybe someone, some of our listeners could look into that and tell us um, if, yeah. if that is. I have not been in, a, in an American high school in many years, so I, I yeah. don't have Who knows? that yeah, much yeah, exactly. firsthand experience. Yeah, so, so maybe it does have to do something with the, uh, with the fact that, as you say, right, I mean, most people aren't 18 and maybe... Um, Previously, uh, this was really like you were kind of invisible, I suppose, to parties um, pre being able to vote. So maybe, maybe that's part of it. It is. I mean, the one interesting thing is that having vote by mail does complicate things a little bit. So in in Oregon, where everyone is sent a ballot, and really there are no polling places on, mm. on election day, they're just drop off sites. Um, we have a pretty early cutoffs for voter registration because they need to process the ballots and get them out early enough so that people have, have time to um, return them. So there is a trade-off there where if you have kind of an exclusively vote-by-mail system, you don't have same-day registration, uh, which could cut people off. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so, so there are trade-offs there then, huh? And I suppose it's, as you say, right, it's important to also keep... Um, keep an eye on this and see how this develops over time yeah. because right want, things might change people really want those ballots processed quickly so yeah, it would true. be challenging for a state like oregon to allow people to vote in person and um by mail and then make sure that no one has voted twice it'd be easy if you're allowed you know mm. a week to figure it out but if you need to report those results on election night i could see how that'd be logistically challenging that's true. But at the same time, it seems that there's an awful lot of concern about voter fraud. And um, it seems to me slightly overblown, right, to, to have that many fail-safe procedures. I mean, of course, it makes a lot of sense, right? But at the same time, like, how big of an issue is this really? Yeah, I mean, most political science research suggests that election fraud is a minuscule problem mm. in America. Mm. I mean, really, you can count the number of people who vote twice, uh, you know, not on one hand, on two hands. Yeah. Uh, it's really not a problem, but it is a big part of the narrative. Um, whenever election reforms are discussed, people always start with uh, mm. the premise of, of voter fraud. It's kind of this, this boogeyman out there that does, does seem to dominate, even if it's not really a risk in reality. Maybe that fear is the very reason that there is so little fraud, right? Who knows? Maybe all those fail-safe procedures do work. Well, the penalties for voter fraud are quite significant. I mean, mm. people who do vote twice often get caught and go to jail. Uh, right. so, so there are a lot of kind of measures in place that I think prevent fraud and make it not a, a big problem. And yet, it's the first thing we that people talk about when, when talking about about voter reform. Um, I know in automatic voter registration, the, the key thing is um, considerations of citizenship. So oh. in many states that are have automatic voter registration, it is, it is you know, IDs are offered both to citizens and non-citizens. 
Um, but for election purposes, you need to verify citizenships and you don't want to accidentally automatically register people who are ineligible to vote. Um, I mean, hmm. that would be unfair to them. That would put them at kind of legal risk when it was the, the state action doing that. Oh, I see what you mean. Do you have any predictions about what states you think um, are going to, to pass similar kind of legislation? I do think that we are going to see more state. I mean, we're, mm -hmm. it's only been five years since, you know, Oregon was the first state to adopt automatic voter registration in 2015. And we have 20 plus the District of Columbia. It's been at, you know, a quicker pace than kind of motor voter legislation was passing in the 90s. Um, and I think one day there probably will be, you know, federal legislation that mm. in all 50 states. But do you think the the initial impetus is going to continue to come from the states themselves? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ellen Seljan, thank you so much. And um, uh, we'll hear from you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Political Economy Forum podcast. Please feel free to listen to our other episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You might also like our special podcast on election security, Neither Free Nor Fair, which is hosted by Professor James Long and is also available on all major platforms. Our podcasts are produced by Morgan Wack and myself, Nicholas Wittstock. Our theme music was created by Ted Long. Please feel free to leave a review as we're curious about your feedback. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or concerns, please contact uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.